My name is Morgan Hodges with Hodges Livestock in Sterling City, and you're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I've got another episode of Texas Ag Today all loaded up and ready to roll for you. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the uncertain economy is having a big effect on the cotton market. We'll check in with Texas A&M cotton marketing specialist, Dr. John Robinson, coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. To have the best growing season possible, farmers in the water-challenged Texas High Plains have to think about how to get the most out of all of their available sources of moisture. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. Livestock producers learn more about external parasite control in their beef cattle herds at the 62nd Annual Blackland Income Growth Conference in Waco. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more from the conference on Texas Ag Today. Burning has been used for years to rejuvenate grasslands. Burning pasture or hayfields as a means of managing excess residue is commonly practiced in the southern U.S. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. We are in uncertain economic times and that's having a big effect on the cotton market. Cotton prices have been in a range from about 75 to 90 cents for most of the past year. Texas A&M cotton marketing specialist Dr. John Robinson says economic uncertainty will keep prices from breaking higher this year. There's a lot of uncertainty about the, the pace of the growth of the U.S. economy and the world economy. There's been expectations, you know, some people think, yeah, we're in a recession or we're going to be in a recession. And that's that's somewhat debatable. But I don't, I don't think anybody debates that economic growth is slow. And that just that enough, I could say, would kind of act as a wet blanket or a headwind to expectations about the cotton market. It would keep people who would ordinarily might be trading as a speculator and buying and hoping for higher prices, creating higher prices, it, it takes out a lot of that, or takes away a lot of that kind of speculative um, activity. Be- again, because it's people are concerned that things are slow, and the actual real demand for apparel and home furnishings will be slow because of that. Because historically, that tends to be the the association. Dr. Robinson says we may see cotton prices dip as low as the mid 60s at some point during the year. The Commodity Classic is coming to Texas. And now is the time to register before prices rise on January 12th. 
This year's event will be held February 28th through March 2nd in Houston. The theme is New Frontiers in Agriculture. According to event organizers, the Houston event will include the largest number of booths and trade show space ever. There will be sessions for farmers on cyber threats to agriculture, managing through drought, emerging technology in precision irrigation, positioning your farm for long-term success, and more. You can register online at commodityclassic.com. That is commodityclassic.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has announced the appointment of 26 members to serve on the Cattlemen's Beef Promotion and Research Board. 25 of those members will serve three-year terms, and one will serve a one-year term. The three-year term will start this February and end on February of 2027. Three of those members are from Texas. They include Jojo Corrales of Flatonia, Ryan Morehouse from Amarillo, Mark Sestare from Winsboro, and Pat McDowell from Wheeler. Farmers in the water-challenged Texas High Plains need to think about how to get the most out of, out of all available sources of moisture. James Hunt tells us that's necessary to have the best growing season possible. Water really is our most limiting factor in this region, and I believe every cropping decision we make is dependent on water availability. That's Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell, who says with the Texas High Plains groundwater situation becoming more challenging, area farmers are having to think more comprehensively about the sources of moisture they can utilize. As we have looked at how water is managed in this region, increasingly we see that producers are not just considering only their irrigation capacity anymore. Precipitation and soil moisture are part of the water use picture. So crop water use is a combination of soil moisture, in-season rainfall, and irrigation. There was a time when producers could ignore soil moisture and precipitation, and they had enough irrigation capacity to meet that crop water demand, and anything else was just icing on the cake. Well, that is no longer the reality of this environment. Getting occasional good rains always helps, of course, but Dr. Bell also says doing a good job of managing stored soil moisture can really pay off, in some cases giving farmers an extra three to five inches of water to work with in a given season. Now, going back to irrigation specifically, Dr. Bell says a lot of farmers are using what they have more strategically. What we are increasingly seeing is that many producers are reducing their irrigated acreage and concentrating water on less acreage so that they can increase the irrigation capacity on that reduced acreage. Now that's allowing them to irrigate higher water demanding crops, but again, it's on reduced acreage. AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Controlling cattle parasites is an ongoing problem. Tom Nicoletti has the story. At this week's 62nd annual Black Land Income Growth Conference in Waco, sponsored by the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, and it was also in conjunction with the Mid-Tex Farm and Ranch Show, I caught up with Dr. Jason Clear. He's Associate Professor, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist in College Station. And Dr. Clear, uh, you uh, talked to a number of cattle producers about the challenges facing them when it comes to external parasites uh, in their herds. What was your main message? External parasites on us, as far as Texas cattle producers, 
producers, specifically cow-calf producers, and even stocker, our biggest challenge is typically the hornfly. And we're talking about, from a uh, United States perspective, it's about a billion-dollar impact annually. And producers spend a lot of money and efforts to try to combat that because the hornfly is a pest. It will affect performance of cattle. And we've got a lot of studies that show when we get to parasite loads above about 250 flies per cow, then we begin to see some of the effects economically and where it becomes effective to begin treating those. And what are the best methods to control these horn flies? Well, Tom, that's the challenge here in Texas, because when we think about our horn fly season, it's when we don't have horn flies, which is seems like very seldom. And because our horn fly season can be as early as mid-March, depending on how quick the warm-up is. And it can last all the way into November, potentially, depending on when our first killing frost is. And so it's a long period of time. And so for what most producers will utilize is fly tags work exceptionally well, but you do have to catch the cattle to put those in. And they're typically going to last 120 to 150 days. That is Dr. Jason Clear. He's a beef cattle specialist with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. At the Blackland Income Growth Conference in Waco, I'm Tom Nicoletti for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Burning has been used for centuries to rejuvenate grasslands. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson says it's still a common practice across the southern U.S. Forage producers commonly use burning to stimulate vegetative growth of unproductive or heavily weed-infested pastures. Burning is an inexpensive, labor-efficient means of removing unwanted residues or vegetation before forage breaks dormancy. Keep in mind that burning might not be the only management tool needed to control invasive species in a pasture. Prescribed burning must be integrated with grazing management to gain the full benefits. Combining the appropriate stocking rate and rest periods with prescribed burning will allow the desired vegetation to be competitive and help reduce the encroachment of many undesirable plants. Burning is carried out for a variety of reasons. To remove excessive vegetation, to increase plant productivity by increasing photosynthetic capability, to control weeds and insects, and to reduce diseases where dead biomass could host pathogens. Prescribed burning is planned to achieve a specific objective in a specific area under appropriate conditions at the right time of the year. This will require equipment and a crew to keep the fire under control. A prescribed burn will require some planning to meet certain management goals. A properly planned and executed prescribed burn can be a very effective management tool for pastures or hayfields. Occasional burning of pastures can be an economical and effective management tool. However, repeated long-term burning of pastures can have a permanent negative effect on soil quality and overall soil health. Prescribed burning can be dangerous if improperly or carelessly done. Even if a landowner obtains a fire permit, he or she is still liable for any damages or suppression costs that could occur because of the prescribed burn, including fire damages or problems created by smoke. Take precautions and appropriate measures before, during, and after burning to reduce any risk. Get help before you burn. Contact your local Forest Service office and or your local extension office for more information on planning and executing a prescribed burn of a pasture or hayfield. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. New chronic wasting disease surveillance and containment zones in Texas now encompass a two-mile area around where the disease has been found. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll explain why coming up on Texas Ag Today. And the lifestyle of performance horses puts them at a greater risk for developing stomach ulcers. 
Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. The lifestyle of performance horses puts them at a greater risk for developing stomach ulcers. Dr. Bob Judd says a high percentage of these horses have those ulcers. Prevention of ulcers in performance horses is very important, and studies have shown 60 to 90 percent of these horses have ulcers. Unfortunately, the management practices of show horses tend to predispose these horses to gastric ulcers. These practices include keeping the horse in a stall, feeding high-concentrate grain diets, traveling to new venues, and stress can all contribute to ulcer development. Symptoms include nervous or aggressive behavior, sensitivity in the back or girth area, decreased appetite, teeth grinding, poor performance, and some may colic and lie down on their backs in the stall. There are two areas of the equine stomach, and one is squamous without protection from acid, and the other is glandular, which has protection, but both can develop ulcers. In performance horses, gastric acid is splashed up on the squamous region and can lead to ulcers. An empty stomach can also increase the chances of an ulcer, as there is no pad of forage to protect the stomach. Because of this, it is recommended to feed smaller meals throughout the day so the stomach has less time empty and this will decrease acidity. Also, feeding feed higher in fat versus carbohydrates will decrease stomach acid. High quality forage is helpful as it coats the stomach and some forage like alfalfa is high in calcium content, which just like Tums and humans, buffers the stomach acid. Hand walking your horse and allowing some grazing will help with stress. Feeding a small forage meal 30 minutes prior to exercise can help prevent ulcers by providing a mat to protect the stomach from acid, but a grain meal should be avoided. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. New chronic wasting disease containment and surveillance zones now encompass a two-mile area around where the disease is found. Jessica Domel explains why. In addition to testing free-ranging deer and requiring the testing of captive deer from breeding facilities, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department also monitors the area near where chronic wasting disease has been detected to see if additional susceptible species have CWD as well. One way the department does this is by creating CWD surveillance in containment zones. Both come with restrictions for deer breeders and a requirement for hunters to bring deer that they've harvested to a check station for testing before leaving the zone. Alan Kane, TPWD Big Game Program Director, recently explained why zones now encompass a two-mile radius around the area where a deer has tested positive for the neurological deer disease. We used to make surveillance zones and we'd snap them to identifiable features, so roads, rivers, things that hunters could identify in outdoor annual 
Last year, we have a positive in Duval County. There was quite a bit of concern among some landowners in there that this zone was pretty large because we had to encompass a large area. There's just not a lot of roads in that portion of Duval County. And so through that process and with some guidance from the commission, we ended up shrinking those zones to about down to about a two-mile area just around that captive breeding facility where the CUD was detected. And so in those situations where we only found CUD in that facility, we were just looking right in that core area around there where it was most important that we get samples from right around that facility. The two miles biologically average home range of a white-tailed deer is about a square mile. They might can range further than that during rut, bucks can. But in general, we tried to keep it compact. And in that particular situation, again, the positive was only in that breeding facility. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. It's time to check the markets. We'll be back with a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, call 833-TX-HEALTH or visit 833-TXHEALTH.com. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures finished higher on Thursday, both live and feeder cattle moving higher with February live cattle up $1.5, $171.80. April up 90 cents, $174.57. The June up 87, $171.97. Feeder cattle also higher, January up $1.65, $226.27. March feeders up a dollar twenty-seven, two twenty-seven forty, with the April contract up a dollar twenty-seven, closing at two thirty-two seventy-two. Cash fed cattle markets still very slow for this week. Of course, the weather having a big effect on cattle marketing this week and possibly next week with the Arctic blast moving across the country. As far as sales are concerned, this week we've only seen a few sales up north in Iowa. Uh, some sales on live cattle at 175, dress cattle at 275. That is steady money compared to last week. Box to B prices higher Thursday. Choice up 252 at 285.59. Select up 305, 269.99. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Benny Cox sold sheep and goats in San Angelo this Tuesday, first one after the new year. Benny, how did the sale go? We had 44.85 uh, slaughter ewes. They were better, five to ten higher. Kid goats were five to fifteen higher. And uh, the slaughter nannies, they were better, dollar to a dollar eighty, but mostly 142 to 157. Slaughter billies from 170 to 264, but they're really good, bigger, you know, desirable kind, two to 220 range. Light into these uh, hair lambs that go to slaughter from 230 all the way up to 338. And the heavier end, those over 80, anywhere from two dollars to 296. Looking at the use, 76 all the way to 117, but the majority of them one, uh, from 83 to 93. Kid goats from 220 to 390, but mostly 260 to 254 in that range. We did have some feeder kids all the way up to 445. 
Y'all got a stalker calf sale coming? Is that what you got? Yeah, and I talked to Jody this morning. He thinks we'll be north of the thousand. He's guessing that some of those people that were sitting back maybe waiting on this week, you know, didn't want to sell the first of the year, you know, before the end of the year. And looking at this weather deal, looks like it's going to be nice until, you know, the bad stuff's not supposed to get down here till oh, you know, like Sunday evening late or whatever. So a bunch of those people are, are likely to maybe do something. He feels like we'll sure be over a thousand this week. Tell everybody how to contact you, Benny Cox, producers. Right. Call me on my mobile, it's 325-234-4277, the office, same area code, 653-3371, or they can always look at the web, which is producersandcargyle.com. Always a good conversation. We'll do it again at least twice next week. Thank you. There you go. Adios. Mm -hmm. And neighbor, we'll be back on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network every day this week, Monday through Friday anyway, for more Walking the Pins. You've been listening to me, Larry Marble. That was Benny Cox, and you're listening right this second on Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs finished higher on Thursday. February hogs up 52 cents, 72.60. April hogs up 10 cents at 79.05. Class 3 milk moved lower. January milk down 6 cents, 15.14 a hundredweight, with February milk down 41, 15.81 a hundred. Nice gains in the cotton market on Thursday, following a very good-looking export sales report. That helped to boost prices higher a bit. Also, traders getting themselves in position for Friday morning's January WASDE report. We closed out with March cotton up 118 points, 81.36. May cotton up 100 points at 82.33. New crop December cotton up 52, 79.71. Grain markets moving lower on Thursday. March corn down one and three quarters, 457 and three quarters. September corn down two at 483 a bushel. Both hard and soft wheat were lower Thursday. March Kansas City wheat down eight and a half at 616. March Chicago wheat down seven, 603 and three quarters. In the energy markets, February natural gas up six cents at 310. February West Texas crude up 95 cents. 72.32 a barrel. The financial markets very narrowly mixed on Thursday afternoon. The Dow up six points, 37,702. The NASDAQ down two, 14,967, with the S&P down three, 4,779. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.